You are listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast reviewing our way through the three-body problem and discussing its real-life parallels. I'm Allie. And I'm Brett. On today's episode, Ye Wenji is down bad. The government makes her an offer she can't refuse, and wait, Radar Peak is real? Stay tuned. Energy unit reporting. All systems go. Cutting unit reporting. All systems go. Amplifier unit reporting. All systems go. Interference monitor unit reporting. With an acceptable range. Begin transmission. Okay, so three weeks go by. The work continues. Everybody's going about their business, day in, day out, kind of thing. By this point, countless more trees have been cleared. The construction corps is really doing a very effective job at just erasing the natural landscape in this mountain range. Do you remember when I said this decision for Ye to get comfortable was going to come back to haunt her? Mm-hmm. So she receives a summons. <laughs> from the Construction Corps headquarters, which, like, the equivalent of being called to the principal's office. She goes to the construction headquarters office, and as soon as she walks in, she can tell something is wrong. Yeah, it's like being called by Miss Trunchbull. You're heading for the turkey, young lady! Turkey! Teach you a lesson! She walks in, and, like, the, the air is wrong. There's this, like, weird tension. Like, something's up. She just doesn't know what it is yet. And she's met by three people. Two of them, she knows who they are, and one of them is a complete stranger. You've got the company commander, the political instructor, and this stranger who's got a very stern look on his face. On the desk in front of her is a black briefcase, an envelope that's open that's got some papers in it, and a book laying next to the envelope. And can you guess what the book was? Um, let me guess. Was it Moby Dick? No. It was Silas Ring. Ding, 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 ding. But not just a copy, not just a copy of Silas. It's it's the copy Uh that she had just read. So she's like, oh, fuck. The stranger. Snitches get stitched. I mean, but it's also like, was she being spied on? Right. What's the deal here? Is, you know, who knows? The stranger gets introduced to Ye as Director Zhang of the Division Political Department. And he's here to investigate. <laughs> what, what's going through your mind at this point? Oh, I'm like, she's fucked. And I cannot believe... I mean, I don't... I'm like, well, what's happened? Has she been betrayed by her friend, by Moline? Or is it just one big misunderstanding? That's what I'm hoping for. So, Director Zhang asks Ye Wenji if she wrote this letter. They're like, we received this letter. Did you write this? To which she's like, No. She's telling the truth. I didn't write it. He's flipping through the letter and he gets on the last page and it has no signature except for saying, like, XOXO, the revolutionary masses. <laughs> Ye tells Director Shang about the reporter by Moulin, about how he gave her this book to read, how he had a draft of a letter that he wanted her to basically proofread. But before it was sent, she did copy it for him because his hand was unsteady. 
but they don't believe her. So again, we've got this kind of like Cassandra type thing. She's mm. telling the truth, but the people around her are like, you're obviously lying. Right. By this point, they've interviewed by Mulin. Mm. And he says that Ye Wenji stole the book from him. <gasps> he was like, she wrote this letter and I only mailed it because she told me to. Can you believe? The betrayal. The male audacity. Of just like full-blown, immediate folding under the pressure and the selling out of your friend. I mean... When you're living in an authoritarian regime, like, I, I can't say, I don't, I don't know. What is integrity at that point? Well, it's like what we talked about in, in episode one, when, when faced with any kind of struggle in this kind of, like, political system, you basically have, have two choices. Yeah. Either fully amend my way of doing things, or in some other way, make a choice that either way they lead to self-preservation right right it leads to a lot of selling out of your fellow man yeah it's actually all for one and one for all because you know there actually is not going to be equal or fair treatment you know um and a question i actually did have in this moment was like you know because they're pissed because they think silent spring has been quite influential in the capitalist world and director zhang you know he says under the guise of discussing environmental problems, Silent Spring seeks to justify the ultimate corruption of the capitalist world. And I only came to understand what that meant when I was doing the background research, mm -hmm. because in the end of Silent Spring, Rachel Carson doesn't argue for actually like the banning of pesticides. She she does make she she just like points out all of this information and is like, so what do we do? She's like, we should try like more by what's called like biotic herbicides and also like if we are going to use pesticides we shouldn't be like spraying to the point of like drowning it should be like the bare minimal right. amount so it's still you know cooperating with the capitalist based production of pesticides so that's when i finally understood okay that's why they consider this to be a reactionary text right at this point the mood in this office is tense everybody is like on the edges of their seats because they're like why won't you just tell us the truth but also physically it's tense like the air is thick because there's tobacco smoke just mm. hanging low everywhere after some veiled threats and some like not some a fair amount of gaslighting ye wenji along with this so-called evidence of this crime that she's committed are taken to prison so here again ye makes a friend or she thinks and just another betrayal later that afternoon when Ye is sitting in a jail cell occupied by three other women prisoners we see them leave the cell one by one and Ye's left alone it's in the middle of the winter the coal fire that's in the corner is has almost gone out and because Ye's by herself nobody's coming back to replenish these coals so she's like it's getting cold in here yeah so she wraps up with the blanket that's on her bed and right before it gets dark two officials drop by and pay her a visit there's a man and a woman and the two of them are led by the woman cheng lihua what and the man is basically sort of just like administratively subservient to cheng he's here as the support but she shows up she appears friendly she's got a smile on her face she's trying to win yay over because she has an agenda <laughs> she's like, does she she's like 
oh my god, what happened to your stove? Like, it's really cold in here. Like, let's see if we can't make it more comfortable for you. Like, that kind of thing. You need to eat more. You need more fat on your bones. I'm worried about you. But she's going through her briefcase. So immediately I'm like, this is emotional manipulation. Oh, yes. When she finds what she's looking for in her briefcase, she takes out this small stack of papers and sits them on Ye's bed. And with this same kind of like friendly smile on her face, she's like, here, sign this and we can resolve all your ideological difficulties. Which like to me felt very like almost like the Godfather, right? Like very mob-like. Like, oh, here. Mm-hmm. So, or very like Ursula in The Little Mermaid. You see, the contract's legal, binding, and completely unbreakable. You know, like, what's really, what's this about? Yeah, what am I signing? At this point, Chang is saying things to Ye, like, oh, you can trust us. You know, like, I personally guarantee that these papers have nothing to do with the reason why you're in here in the first place. <laughs> just just go ahead, sign it, sign it, sign I it. I loved that moment. I'm just like, I can personally guarantee that there's no risk to you in signing these documents. Like, um, I don't know. That's pretty suspicious. But, like, Chang is trying her hardest to kill this thing with kindness. She's like, I can win, yay, over. So she's like, go ahead, read it for yourself. See what it's, see what it says, see what it's about. And then when you've read it, sign it. And we can, we can get this little, you know, inconvenience for you being in jail sorted. So Ye reads it over and she realizes she really hadn't been lied to. The papers are nothing about why she's in jail in the first place. But she realizes they're about her father. Yeah. And can I also add that um, the woman, the Chang, who's trying to get her to sign it, she, her associate is, like, trying to help. And he's like, Ye Wenji, like, Representative Chang, he's just trying to help you. And she's been working hard on your behalf. And Chang is like, shut the fuck up to her associate. Like, I don't need your help. She's like, don't, she's like, don't mansplain emotional manipulation and coercion to a woman. Okay. I wrote the book. Gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss. <laughs> I loved it. She was like, truly. Um, but yes, so the documents. It's about her father, but more specifically, it's about interactions that her father had had with specific individuals. And the source of the information was her younger sister, Wen Jue. So another betrayal. She just lost this, like, newish friend that she made at work that landed her literally in jail. Her father is dead. Her mother she lost. Her best friend she lost. And now she's like, my sister turned my, on my family, too. My little fucking sister. And her sister was of the age where she had become a pretty radical member of the Red Guard. So in in doing so, family members' activities had just sort of become like an obstacle to overcome less of a thing about loyalty and more like oh yeah i can i can prove my worth to the red guard here i know all of this about my dad so at this point ye has the full understanding about what's going on in this document but she's still not sure if the document is truthful or not yeah she's like i never heard any of these conversations so i can't say that they happened but she realizes that like this could be a really fatal political blow to anybody that's mentioned in this document. If I sign this without knowing that it's true, every single person who's mentioned in here, the course of their life could be changed negatively forever. So I'm not going to sign it. So yay, to this point, always the truth teller. She says to Chang, I don't know about this, so I can't sign it for you, which obviously is not what Chang wants to hear. And what are the conversations in the documents like detailing? It didn't go into specifics, but basically... You can surmise from it that they are conversations between 
Ye's dad and other intellectuals, other people that ostensibly the government would have interest in either corroborating these as being true so that they could send them through the process of re-education. Got it. And, and so there's some like allusions to like the double bomb project, but they really don't talk much about yeah, it. Yeah, like not specifically. So she's looking at these documents. She sees at the bottom, her sister's already signed it and three other witnesses have already signed it. But Ye is like, I don't know anything about these conversations, so I can't sign it. And it comes as a surprise to Chang because she's like, I thought for sure seeing this amount of people already signing would be the thing that wins her over. But we start to see this facade of niceness begin to wear off. Not literally on her face. The look on her face is pretty much plastered on. I mean, I I imagine to achieve this goal that she's here for, she's like just smiling and glaring through it. Chang tosses out more veiled threats against Ye. She's like, oh, like, it would break my heart to see you get ruined by something like this. You know, like, I really want to save you. Like, she's literally, uh... Please cooperate with me. Like, do you think I would hurt you? She is Ursula, the sea witch. (laughs) But undeterred, Ye is like, I am not going to sign these. So Chang becomes ice cold. Chang takes the papers... She's like, she knows when she's fighting a losing battle. She takes the papers, puts them back in her briefcase, walks over to the corner of the jail cell, and picks up this bucket of water that's like how they would bathe. And it's also freezing. She pours half of the bucket over Ye, soaking her, and pours the other half over her blanket so that no matter what, she's going to have an uncomfortable night. It's like zero degrees here already. Yeah, and it's like... In America, at least, when we see police procedurals, we're used to seeing, like, very good cop, bad cop. Somebody's, like, you know, two different people playing different sides with different tactics. We're not really used to seeing that so much from the same person. And I love it. It's It's like so mean. It's psychological torture, really, at this point. But once you show you're, you're a bad cop, there's no going back to being a good cop. No. So... Chang and her associate are about to leave the jail cell, leaving Ye Wenji soaked and alone for the night. And the last thing she says to her is, you stubborn little bitch. Burn. The night that follows is so ice cold that Ye is chilled to the bone. She's wrapped up in this blanket that's been soaked. Her teeth are chattering to the point that, you know, it's like making tons of noise, but it's happening on such a large scale that like she's going deaf to it. Because it's, like, all she can hear, both in echoing off the walls of the jail cell and, like, in her own skull. So she, like, stops hearing it at a point. As chapter two closes, Ye, because she is soaked ice cold in the middle of the winter in a jail cell with no fire, starts to hallucinate as she's falling asleep. Mm -hmm. This could be the end of her story. She sees the universe as this gigantic block of ice and she sees herself in that block of ice represented as like the only spark of life in the entire universe sort of like i'm the only person who really is thinking about the meanings of the things that we're doing i'm the only person who seemingly is holding to an ideal and i won't bend under pressure and there's no like and and i'm if i'm the only spark in this block of ice i mean where's the warmth you know there is none and this block of ice that she sees starts to go transparent and it's replaced by the vision of a tall building which you might remember from the beginning of chapter one chapter one on top of the building she sees a flag bearer she sees this young girl waving the bright red flag and it's her sister when she sees her sister 
waving this flag back and forth, but as she's sort of like looking at her her facial details, she starts to morph and she becomes Bai Mulin. And then he becomes Representative Chang, who then becomes her mother Shaolin, who becomes her father. And at this point, I'm just thinking like, as a side note, like I can't imagine being so cold that I'm tripping out of my mind. Right. No. Like, that's bitter. That's very cold. That's close to death. And as Ye is just spiraling through these icy hallucinations, chapter two ends, the flag bearer kept on changing, but the flag waved ceaselessly like a perpetual pendulum counting down the remainder of her short life. Gradually, the flag grew blurry. Everything grew blurry. The ice that filled the universe once again sealed her at its center. Only this time, the ice was black. So that's the end of chapter two. I mean, it feels like as soon as Ye gets a taste of something nice and comfortable, it just gets fully ripped away from her. When she was like hallucinating and was at her near death, we learn that her little sister, ever since she like made that clean break with her family because they're reactionary academics. Oh my God. Yeah. I buried the lead. You buried the lead. She had only learned, when, when, uh, Ye Wenji learned recently that actually her sister died two years ago in one of the... In a way that a lot of you by now will be familiar with. Yeah, in one of the wars between Red Guard factions, because there was a lot of infighting within yeah. the Communist Party. And, you know, she's hallucinating that her sister, like, holding that red flag on top of the tower, and I can't help but think... That opening image of chapter one was, in fact, Ye Wenji's little sister. Like, was it? It could have been. It may as well have been. Yeah. But, yeah. So, in case you're For wondering... For we'll say yes. Yes. And in case you're... Right. I just want to point out, in case you're wondering what happened to Ye Wenji's little sister... Yep. She's dead, and she died during the Cultural Revolution for her p- passions. Yeah, so Ye is alone, frozen in nothingness. And chapter three begins. Chapter three begins. Red Coast One. And ominous. Yeah. And of course, Ye Wenji's story could end right here. She's on the verge of death, but it doesn't. Chapter three opens with Ye Wenji hearing a loud, continuous roar, like, that's how I imagine it. Okay. And the sound is coming from all around her, and her eyes, like, slowly open she has like pounding headache and she looks around and she hears a soft male voice calling her name wendy and he says you have a high fever and she's like in a fever dream when she realizes where she is which is on a helicopter yay's feeling very weak she falls back asleep and when she finally opens her eyes again and struggles to sit up the two men on the helicopter with her tell her, you know, lie, lie down. Like, you're very weak. They cover her with the quote, with the coat. And then they begin to ask her gentle questions, such as, Ye Wenji, did you write this paper? 
And I mean, again with the paper, again with the paper, like deja vu three, right? Like, and, and what paper do you think they're asking if she wrote the letter? Right. That's what I thought. But no, this has nothing to do with the letter. They want to know if she wrote this paper in an English journal, a scientific paper. And the title of that paper is the possible existence of phase boundaries within the solar radiation zone and their reflective characteristics. Whoa. Which, like, you don't need to understand at all. But now that I'm going back and reading this a second time, I'm like, oh, don't worry. You're going to understand why the title of this paper is relevant, like, 20 chapters from now. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. But so they're asking if she wrote this paper, which she did write for uh, a journal, the Journal of Astrophysics in 1966, because she herself was an astrophysics student at Tsinghua University. So of course she did. Like it had her name on it. Why does this even need to be confirmed? And they don't explain anything. But she is introduced to the two men on the helicopter. And they are the political commissar, Lei Zhicheng of the Red Coast Base, and Yang Wenning, base chief engineer. And Ye Wenji thinks you're Yang Wenning. I know Yang Wenning because Yang Wenning was a grad student of her father's at Tsinghua University. Full circle moment. Mm -hmm. And he had come to like talk to her father before. And when he would come and talk to her father, he would say like, you know, Yang really wanted to focus on experimental and applied problems, not so much theory. So he's obviously reformed his ideas because if he's working for the government as a scientist. Yeah. It gives me the sense that like sort of like Shaolin, Mm -hmm. he kind of knew that it's easy to make ideological mistakes in theory that will get you put in prison. So better to just work on experiment and, and applied problems. So, like, after Yang graduated, he never spoke to her father again, and he never spoke to her again. But there was nothing, you know, no bad blood between them. Um, And she always thought he was kind of a respectable guy, you know? But didn't know how he felt toward her. But immediately, I'm like, I don't know, I'm getting sexual tension vibes (laughs) just based on this little bit of backstory of, like, maybe Yang always noticed Ye Wenji and was like, hmm, you know? And you know what? He did always notice her because it's because of him that she's on this helicopter right now. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And Yang and the political commissar, Lei, uh, start having their own little, like, private conversation. But Ye Wenji can hear the whole thing because they're on a helicopter together. Right. <laughs> it's pretty close quarters. And they're going back and forth. And Commissar Lei is like, I just don't think this is a good idea. And Yang's like, well, I mean, you find me personnel that is trained in these categories that we need through normal channels and you know we'll talk about a different avenue but like you haven't been able to find me anyone who has the security clearance needed for this project she's our guy basically yeah exactly um but it's like what is this project like it requires a lot of security uh clearance and it requires so much security regulations that like whoever takes this position would need to be sequestered at the base for a very long time and they would have to leave their family and, you know, if they're not going to leave their family, their families would have to be sequestered at the base. And, and just basically no one is interested in doing something so classified that it would take away from their lives in such a way. People would basically rather be in re-education schools, which are like pretty rough, uh, than to go to where they're headed. And, and on top of all that, 
they can't afford to have someone who doesn't want to be there. I mean, that's a huge liability as well. So they're not trying to force anyone there either. And Yang says, you know, this entire project is unconventional. I know bringing her is unconventional, but this whole project is unconventional. And if something goes wrong, you know, I'll take full responsibility for it. And Commissar Lei is like, all right, fine. And they land and Ye Wenji feels these big winds and she recognizes the smell of the woods and she knows it's the wind of the greater Kingon Mountains. Okay. And she hears a sound once she gets off the helicopter. It's a low, forceful bass howl, kind of like your voice when you wake up in the morning. Yeah, very. So that's basically what Ye Wenji is hearing when she gets off the helicopter is this low bass howl. From just like everywhere. Yes. And it's like forming the, the background of the world. Okay. Um, only now she was super close to it and it was it's coming from the parabolic antenna dish in the wind. Wait, is she at She is now on top of Radar Peak. That's right. Yeah. We're talking about Radar Peak on Radar Peak. Okay, so aside from the fact that that's highly meta, she's at this place now that she's like I know this place is bad vibes. Yeah. And like, what am I doing here? Okay, well. She looks in the direction of the construction corpse from where she came, you know, because from the construction corpse, she could see up at Radar Peak. Sure. But from Radar Peak, you cannot see anything. And some soldiers get off the helicopter with her and she notices like the top of Radar Peak, super spacious. There's these white buildings and all these guards. And Commissar Lei turns to Ye Wenji. He explains, we could have you punished, as you deserve. But you have an opportunity to redeem yourself. He explains, it's a defense research facility. And the research they're doing needs her specialized, specific knowledge in astrophysics. Yang, he says, Chief Engineer Yang will give you the details and you should consider carefully. So Yang takes Ye Wenji off to the side where no one is standing or listening. And he finally acknowledges that he knows her. And he's like, let me just level with you. This is not some great opportunity to, to redeem yourself, okay? You know, if you, if, if you even, if you go to prison for your political crimes, no matter what Chang Li Hua wants, like even if she wants you to get, you know, the whole book thrown at you, you're probably only looking at 10 years in, you know, a sentencing facility. But if you stay here, you'll never leave for the rest of your life. And she goes, okay, great. I want to go. I want to <laughs> okay. go in. Let's go. She's like, he's like, wait, wait, wait. You're, you're... think about it. She's... Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> now she's like, where do I sign? <laughs> he's like, think about it. Like, this is a really big decision. You'll never be able to see anyone from the outside world again. Uh, she's like, no, no, I've thought about it. I, I'm ready. He's like, get back on the helicopter and just like, take your time. She's like, I'm good. Let's go in. Did you hear me? And it makes sense. It's like, she doesn't even care what they're doing here. She has been so traumatized. Right. And so betrayed so many times. Our girl has been through it. Through it. So finally she's in a place where like, no one's coming in, no one's coming out. Like, as far as she can tell, this is the most secure, safe space she could possibly be. And she's like, I want this. If I could be here forever, great. I don't want to be in some prison situation where, like, my life could somehow get worse. Sure, like, I'd rather be here and become, like, a science monk. Exactly. So Yang accepts it, and he begins to walk toward the gate, almost trying to leave Ye behind, but Ye 
stays close because she's not being left behind and he follows uh him past these like heavy iron doors and into the transmission main control room and it smells of engine oil and there's all kinds of instruments and equipment signal lights oscilloscope displays and these operators dressed in military uniforms crouched behind these you know like metallic machines that look like battlefield trenches they're so high mm-hmm. and there's all uh a stream of operational orders being and responses, you know, being exchanged. The whole scene is very tense and like chaotic and confusing, right? She's just thrown into this technical world and, and we don't know what they're doing. Yang says, you know, wait here. I'm going to go set up your hut. We're going to get it warmed up for you where you'll be staying. And she notices a guard with a handgun and he's, she's like, I, I think I'd actually rather stay outside. Like, I know it's warmer in here, but I don't know. She's just like, I don't know why she would rather stay outside, but, I mean, it, it's clearly because of the guard with the handgun. She just doesn't trust anyone with a weapon, I guess, at this point. Sure. I mean, do you blame her? No, I don't blame her. But that, So for that reason, she's like, I'm going to stand outside. And Yang smiles at her, and he says, you know, from now on, you'll be a member of the base staff, and you will never leave this place again. And Ye waits outside, and she is just outside of the main control room door, and the huge antenna, that giant antenna dish that she had seen so many times from down at the construction corp. Cause of so many strange mm-hmm. things. It's directly behind her, and it literally takes up half of the sky. And she can clearly hear the sounds from inside the main control room. And there's all of these orders going back and forth. You might recognize them. Energy unit reporting all systems go oh i've heard that before coding unit reporting all systems go that's right they state their target classification and the serial number and we don't know what it means and they say we have reached the point of no return 15 seconds everything becomes quiet a klaxon starts to blare Woo, 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 woo. a red light on top of the antenna begins to blink rapidly begin transmission all units continue to monitor yay suddenly feels like a light itch on her face and she knows that this enormous electric field has appeared she lifts her face and she gazes in the direction of the antenna and sees that it's pointing and she sees a cloud in the night sky glowing and it has this dim blue light that she first thinks is an illusion but as the cloud drifted away the glow disappeared and another cloud drifted into position and gave off the same glow and from the main control room she's hearing more shouts she sees shadows lifting out of the woods below the peak and it's it's all of those birds suddenly rising from the canopies and one of the birds flies into the region where the antenna is pointed and the bird just immediately drops out of the sky And the process continues for about 15 minutes until the red light on that antenna goes out and the itch on her skin disappears and the murmurs and the orders and the calls and the responses, um, you know, finally cease. Someone says, you know, all units should fill out transmission diaries. We're done. And finally, all is silent. And Ye watches as the remaining birds gradually settle back into the forest As she surveys the night sky, she doesn't see any target that she thought they might be referring to. All she could see were the stars of the cold night in 1969.
concludes not only chapter three, Red Coast One, but part one of the three-body problem. And part one is Silent Spring. Part two, which we will begin next week, is called Three-Body. What the f*** is happening on this base? Truly! I mean, I don't know. I mean, with the satellite, it feels like it's maybe like a like a NASA or something. Right. It also sounds like maybe it's a weapon. Yeah. And NASA, they don't do weapons. Right. I mean, they say defense. So, you know, you think maybe it has to do with, like, interference of some sort. Like, maybe. listening in on, like, Soviet radio waves. Kind of like, uh, what was that movie? The Imitation Game? Like, some type of Imitation Game situation? Maybe. Well, because also, I mean, you mentioned the, the two bomb project part of that project was development of china's first nuclear bomb but also their first artificial satellite so maybe it's something to do you know a continuation of that program and i wanted to ask you when i when we were talking about you know she recognized yang wenning as one of her father's former students Mm -hmm. um and he's saying you know i don't want to study theoretical physics i want to avoid theory and I want to just do experimental and applied problems and we kind of understand why, right? I was just thinking, you began to tell me last week that China genuinely has still like a rubric uh, for which science fiction is allowed to exist. exist. Yeah. So taking it back to the 1980s, science fiction was banned outright. Like, what? Outright, because it was seen as something that was like a a waste of time that was escapist, you know, that just sort of like your mind could be better spent on other forms of entertainment or at least things that backed up the party lines of the government. So sci-fi was out of the question. The sci-fi that did exist were translations of other worldwide spread sci-fi stories journey to the center of the earth Ten Thousand leagues under the sea things like that that Mm. were sci-fi i guess in their nature but you know not so fantastical as as the story that we're all going through right now to the day stories that are either centered on or include elements of time travel are still banned crazy because again you'll never find a chinese sci-fi that has time travel not unless not unless these not unless they can sort of out. requirements are changed by the government because time travel is sort of seen as a way of escapism where it's sort of Cause it's ignoring seen- reality and escaping magically scientifically technologically to a place or a time that's better it has to fall within a certain set of guidelines and Recently, the Chinese government released a document saying, basically, if you're if you're going to write sci-fi that is in a book form, if you want it to get past our book censors, if you're if you're working on a television show or a movie or anything that is going to be in in a sci-fi genre, these are the things that it has to follow. What any of the guidelines are? Yeah. So the the document that was that was released said that, and I'm quoting. The number one priority is to thoroughly study and implement Xi Jinping's thought. Hmm. 
This includes creating films that highlight Chinese values. Okay. Inherit Chinese culture and aesthetics. Uh huh. Cultivate contemporary Chinese innovation. Okay. As well as disseminate scientific thought and raise the spirit of scientists. Okay. So ultimately, if you think about the U.S. government, a lot of movies that have to do with the U.S. military or being set on a military, but like Top Gun, for example, got a huge subsidy from the U.S. government because they were allowed to use Air Force bases, planes, Air Force resources to help tell this story. But in exchange, the Air Force and the government got a creative say in the direction to make sure that the Air Force and the U.S. government were not being disparaged in the end product. For me, part of why I think why I enjoyed this entire book series so much is because, like we talked about last week, the line between reality and fantasy from start to finish is so blurry Yeah, that it makes for such an immersive experience. I was thinking that exact thought back when you were covering uh, Chapter 2, because after, you know, Bai Moomin betrays Ye Wenji, mm-hmm. it, it kind of explains, like, what historical records later would reveal about Bai Moomin's mo- motivations. I yes. literally then Googled Bai Moomin because I was like, are Convinced these real historical real records? And I was literally just like, wait, is this true? Because it could have been. for all intents and purposes, it may as well be. Right. I mean, half a century later, that only brings us to, like, 2010. So there could have been historians that are looking back on this event that just maybe had different names. And it was such a great example of like, I don't, I still don't know as far as we've gotten so far in this book, what is fact and what is fiction. And and that is a product of the strict standards of Chinese sci-fi. I was also thinking about how cool, like, Cixin Liu spends the first three chapters. He has this character, you know, working in the construction corpse, this man coming along, asking her to tr- to rewrite this letter, this letter getting found, her getting thrown in prison, her getting a fever, and then taken out of that prison by helicopter because the alumni of her fa- of her father you know sent for her and found her paper that she had written and i just think about like the singular movement and how it gets done through the course of events you know of these smaller plot points yeah we're like i mean story wise we're we're spanning so many events that are happening but it is really concise but at the same time liu sisen is such a master of the long game and mm-hmm. the payoff mm-hmm. just foreshadowing how great even more still this story gets i'm so excited it's it's really it's fun to see it's fun to do a deep read like a reread of the because con- then i'm paying more attention also to the construction yeah. of the novel whereas usually i mean at least in my first read of this it was just fully like i was being full you know galaxy brain yeah exactly just taken on the ride and now i'm like whoa like how is he doing this reading it you really understand how this book series took china just absolutely by storm today since we ascended to actual radar peak with ye wenji and we Mm -hmm. see this massive dish and antenna that's on top of the hill and sort of the effects that come from when it's in operation still we have no idea what's going on but it just made me think immediately about the real world since you know so much of this book is grounded in actual reality it's potential real world inspiration Mm -hmm. which 
you know, there are... Are you telling me there's really a radar peak? Well, I'm not telling you there's not a real radar peak. What? So, you know, like, around the world, there are satellites based on the ground. There are massive constellations of satellites on the ground um, that are doing everything from the land-based comparable of what James Webb Space Telescope is doing in outer space Mm -hmm. to looking for, like, fast radio bursts from pulsars or magnetars or just different kinds of stars, if you're not familiar, Um, or just in general making space observations. Hearing sort of the specifications of what's happening on the top of Radar Peak, it immediately made me think of this radio telescope that's in China in actuality that's called it's abbreviated as FAST, F-A-S-T, but it stands for 500-meter aperture spherical telescope. What? And as the name implies, the aperture of this telescope built into the ground is actually 500 meters from one side to the other. And if you've never seen a photo, we'll post it on our Twitter so you can see just how massive this thing is. In, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. In the photo, you can see it's captioned something like, worker cleaning sensor or something like that but for scale and if you can't go to twitter and see this photo i'll describe it for you the dish is so big it doesn't actually fit into a single photo taken from the ground you would almost have to be performing a flyover or something with like a drone or a helicopter or something to truly see the full size of this thing but the worker who's standing inside this telescope the size difference i mean imagine if you dropped like a piece of rice on your living room floor and the piece of rice is the person and the entirety of your living room floor is the telescope it's insane it's massive it's insane to me and what is it doing crucially well, reading from the wikipedia page it is a 500 meter diameter dish that's constructed in a natural depression in the landscape okay um, it's the world's largest filled aperture radio telescope and the second largest single-dish aperture after one in Russia that's called Ratan 600. Okay. It has several different objectives, but its its science mission is large-scale neutral hydrogen survey. Okay. Pulsar observations, All which right. are types of stars. Okay. Leading the International Very Long Baseline Interferometry Network. Which is? The VLBI network. Okay. Meaning? In VLBI. A signal from an astronomical radio source, like a quasar or a magnetar. Again, types of stars. They're just spinning so quickly, they're sending out, like, radio signals. And radio signals is just, like, a wavelength of energy. Correct. I mean, like how, like, if you turn on your AM or FM radio in your car. It will be received as sonic But being emitted by a star, just not by a radio station. Got it. So the VLBI network monitors those types of emissions from stars it also is detecting interstellar molecules okay it is set to detect interstellar communication signals oh my god um and it also times acts as a clock for timing pulsars and yeah i'm just i'm curious like what the applied implications are of like any given information that they get from there like and what they're looking for i guess is it always a search for extraterrestrials yeah i mean i for the most part monitoring all of these stars for radio signals the hope is that you'll either find one because if you're talking about 
stars that are giving off radio signals. That's not uncommon. But they're going to do them at scientifically observable intervals. So the hope is that at some point, a radio signal is going to come through that's very clearly crafted and intentionally sent like a to be code. received. Correct. Fucking sick. And that's that's actually happening. That's in, in China today. Um, and where is this dish, by the way? Which is southwest China. So hmm. the the actual radar peak in, in the book is in sort of like the northeast Got it. mountain countryside of China. That's and... the kind of creative liberty, though, that does not, you know dismiss the potential that Radar Peak really does exist. Sure. So that's pretty wild. Allie, I really feel like this machine is starting to move. Like, I feel like we're starting to really see... I mean, granted, we don't have answers. I don't know what the fuck is happening up on top of Radar Peak, but... Nothing but questions. It feels at least like the wheels are starting to turn. Oh, you better believe they are, because we are lifting off into part two next week. Yeah. We're jumping ahead 40 years. What? With part two. And the first chapter of part two is called The Frontiers of Science. I'm telling you, this is where it, all your hard reading and listening pays off. Okay, nice. So if you've made it this far, definitely don't drop out of school now. Because we're really about to take off into realms beyond your wildest imagination. And I guarantee that. Give us a preview. You don't have to spoil anything. I mean, the frontiers of science, man. Okay. Just imagine an organization riddled with scientists who are mysteriously killing themselves. Is this like struggle session killing no, themselves? No, no. Oh. This, is, this is way after China. Oh, right, because we're 40 years in the future. We're 40 years in the future. China's pretty much in a state of stasis once again. Okay. Uh, Red Guard has really chilled out, and we're living in a more modern China that's been totally industrialized, and you've got modern technology, and you've got scientists and physicists, you know, back in the labs doing experiments again, just far less, appre- like, a far less, what's the word? Greece? Greece? Is the word? Greece. <laughs> and far less, uh, like, Chinese McCarthyism is okay. how I would put it. Okay. Um, you can you can So rest less extreme easy. times in general. Yeah, you think you can rest easy, but actually, if you're a scientist, psych, you can't. Okay, well, well. So, tune in next week and find out more. Why are these scientists killing themselves? Until then. Blasting off. You've been listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast. Subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for exclusive content we might not have time for, subscribe to our Patreon. One last thing before you go. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a review and tell your friends about us. Join in on the conversation when you follow us on Twitter at Radar Peak Pod. 
see you there.